0: I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's program, conductive keratoplasty after LASIK.
1: These are patients who have had complications of LASIK or surface procedures and have had, in general, multiple uh, retreatments.
0: First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Hirsch is a member of the Medical Advisory Board of Refractec. You can now get Category 1 CME credit for listening to As Seen From Here. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the link marked CME. For right now, you'll need to print the quizzes out and mail them in. We hope to have electronic versions of the quiz available by the end of this year. Big news for iTunes users. You can now get As Seen From Here through iTunes. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the iTunes Users link. Then click the subscribe button and you're done. LASIK is a highly predictable procedure and post-operative refractive targets are almost always met. Occasionally, either as a result of regular refractive error or as a result of a flap complication, retreatment is required. However, retreatment is ultimately limited by the patient's postoperative pachymetry. For the patient with a substantially hyperopic error and a thin stromal bed, few options remain. One option might be a non-ablative keratorefractive procedure. Peter Hirsch has studied just such a procedure, conductive keratoplasty, and I'm delighted to have him as my guest today. The patient population that's the target of this study have symptoms that are not easily remedied by simple, simple interventions. Can I have you describe broadly what sort of complications these patients have?
1: Right, These are patients who have had complications of LASIK or, or surface procedures and have had, in general, multiple uh, retreatments. For instance, multiple laser uh, treatments or uh, flap lifts or difficulties with the flap, uh, difficulties with flap management. So they've undergone, in general, a number of procedures secondary to to uh, LASIK complications.
0: And in general, what are the sort of complications that that, that these patients have? Are they mostly flap complications?
1: Mostly flap complications. Uh, for um, uh, for instance, free flaps uh, that are malpositioned, um, uh, successive flap lifts for flap stria. We've had cases of th- uh, patients with thin flaps. Those who have had epitheliopathies after LASIK. Uh, secondary to MAPDOT fingerprint dystrophy, those who are simply too thin to uh, further uh, treat. For instance, a patient who was uh, a plus four after a minus eight LASIK with a uh, residual corneal thickness of 370 microns. So generally patients who have had uh, successive uh, flap difficulties and flap uh, flap issues and, and flap surgeries.
0: CK is not typically the first procedure that you would go to when when remedying a more typical LASIK flap complication. Oh, sure,
1: that's correct, right? We've only, in this this study and what we have been doing, have only been in patients where we have deemed further laser, further flap manipulation to be undesirable.
0: Now, I don't personally do CK. Uh, Can can I have you just walk me through what, what a typical... Treatments like sure.
1: Well, in general, CK falls under the the heading of, of thermal keratoplasty. It is the thermokeratoplasty procedure that that people are using uh, today. Probably, it's the one uh, that that still is in use uh, clinically. Uh, CK indirectly heats uh, corneal stroma uh, via a probe that is inserted by hand, and the probe measures 450 microns long by 90 microns uh, deep, and it has a governor that prevents deeper uh, penetration. A .6 second by, I believe is .6 milliwatt, uh, the pulse is given, which indirectly heats the stroma secondary to the impedance of the collagen, the, the electrical resistance of, of the corneal tissue. So you have a secondary heating based on electrical resistance. Is known in collagen biochemistry that if you heat collagen helices to 50 to 70 degrees centigrade, that the intrahelical hydrogen bonds will break and the collagen will shrink up to one-third in the focal area. So with a CK spot, you'll get a contracture of about 20 microns. So wherever you place CK spot, you're going to get a contracture of collagen and depending on the array of spots, uh, you can correct a variety of effects. CK's been approved, by the FDA for hyperopia and presbyopia, by applying a ring, usually rings of eight spots circumferentially, those give a purse string kind of effect which causes a secondary central corneal steepening. But we found that a CK, much like a compression suture, uh, can also treat astigmatism and irregular astigmatism. I should note that this is an off-label uh, procedure it can treat regular and irregular astigmatism by taking advantage of the fact that a focal collagen contracture will steepen the flat hemi meridian by about one diopter if you contract the cord length in that meridian by 23 microns. So that's basically how it works, collagen contracture leading to a focal steepening in the hemi meridian of the application spot. The first thing you do is you want to assure proper centration because the most critical point of the procedure is to have the spots in, in the right place. We like to center, like all of our corneal refractive procedures, the treatment around the entrance pupil. So we will first bring the patient to the slit lamp, and we will have the patient look directly, I like a hog stripe slit lamp. We have them look directly at the at the light, which aligns the line of sight, and we mark the the principal meridians with a gentian-violet marking pendant. Then I take a Sinsky hook with a little dab of gentian-violet and mark uh, the intersection of those two, which is the line of sight uh, on, on the cornea. So you know where you want to center the procedure. Sure. Patients then brought into the OR, done under topical anesthetic. They lie down. They're asked to look at a coaxial uh, microscope. Uh, they're given topical anesthetic, A lid speculum is is placed, and the lid speculum is integral to the system. So you don't want to drape these patients. Uh, The lid speculum acts as the return conduit uh, for the uh, electric impulse. So the the speculum is integral to the system. Patient looks up at the coaxial illuminator, and we then mark using a CK centration marker uh, the uh, meridians of, of CK placement. The CK spots are then applied, you have to be careful to apply them just at the spot that you've marked, you apply a little bit of pressure, let it sit, back off a bit until the corneal contour is virtually normal, so you just want the slightest dimple, apply the foot pedal, again there's a 0.6 second application, you then want it to rest there for about 0.4 seconds to allow for the proper contracture. And, and hence the spots done. Then you follow the pattern uh, that that you're planning to complete the treatment.
0: What does a typical pattern look like when you're treating cylinder? I mean, it's obviously not just one ring of spots.
1: Well, it depends. When you're treating, first of all, sphere. These are circular patterns which are generally at seven and eight and eight millimeters. When you're treating cylinder, it what we typically do is straddle the flat meridian and use a spot on either side of the straddle, uh, top and bottom in in each of the hemimeridians, uh, starting out about nine millimeters or so. It's very important when you're dealing with these complex cases uh, to properly plan your surgery by using your refraction as well as your topography and then to follow the treatment using intraoperative keratometry. So this is different from how how we typically do a hyperopic or presbyopic CK, which is simply application of circumferential spots based on a nomogram.
0: Peter, can I have you describe the design of this study?
1: Sure. In the particular study that we did, we looked at 16 eyes of, of 15 patients. This is the study that we reported at uh, AAO. We thus far have done uh, probably about 50 or so uh, similar uh, types of patients. The entry criteria were atypical LASIK complications. So no patients were entered into the study who simply had hyperopia uh, after LASIK or simply having a hyperopic type of uh, procedure. These were all patients where we deemed further laser, further flap manipulation to be inappropriate. They simply had had too much done and therefore thought that CK would be a safe intervention uh, for them. Again, it's very important to stress in these procedures, number one, you want to have a good preoperative plan based on refraction, topography, keratometry. This is gonna tell you essentially where you wanna place the spots. Many of these patients have irregular astigmatism, so we may place more spots or spots at a smaller optical zone in those areas of excessive flattening, the meridian of excessive flattening. And conversely, we may use fewer spots and spots at wider optical zones in a, an area of, of less flattening. So you want to go in with a game plan. You want to start conservatively. Conservative in CK means going out to a larger optical zone. The effect that CK has increases exponentially as you come into a smaller optical zone. So you want to be conservative, and I like to do essentially half of what I might plan in a normal CK procedure, and then follow it using intraoperative Placido Disc imagery and intraoperative keratometry, which will then guide my further spots. So I will bring the patient uh, to a keratometer, I will assess the myral image, and I will see how much effect we've gotten with a few spots far out, and then we'll proceed from there. And that this is different from the standard procedure, so it's got to be stressed that both the pre-op plan needs to be carefully considered, and intraoperative change to your plan uh, is important as well. And, and another advantage of CK in these patients, uh, you can always quit uh, before you've done too much. It's better to do a little bit, assess later on, and bring the patient back another day than, than to do too much. An advantage of CK is that it's fairly uh, uh, straightforward for the patient. It's comfortable for them. There's not a lot of preparation. The recovery is, is quite easy. They're, they are comfortable afterwards. It doesn't distort their vision um, that much. So it's, it's easy for them to undergo a number of, of treatments. Indeed, On the 16 eyes that we treated, we did a total of 28 uh, procedures. And in fact, um, uh, eight eyes had it done twice, one eye had it done three times, and one eye actually had it done four times.
0: You adjusted the typical CK nomogram for these patients. Why does CK have a greater effect in patients who have undergone LASIK?
1: Well, I think because they're centrally thin, and thus the cornea is, uh, though not ectatic, it will have a greater uh, tendency to bow out and to steepen um, based on a CK spot. So for instance, if we are doing a typical CK for hyperopia after LASIK, we will in general cut the nomogram in in half expecting a more profound uh, profound result. Uh, There simply is uh, either uh, a, uh, less of a modulus of elasticity or the, the, um, the rebound effect, for instance, of, of, of it is changed because the cornea is thinner. Thus, uh, the CK treatment needs to be done more conservatively.
0: Do patients who have not undergone ablative refractive surgery but just normally have thin corneas generally respond more strongly to CK?
1: we have not found that actually yeah you know, we have not found that actually. in the original uh, clinical trial in which we participated of of fda approved ck for, for hyperopia and presbyopia there was no statistically significant correlation of effect with corneal thickness so it, it it doesn't vary in the standard cornea but it does seem to vary when you have a substantially uh, thin cornea from lasik Uh, Is that an architectural kind of thing and that we are placing CK spots in an area of untreated cornea? It's having its effect remotely at the area of treated cornea. Uh, Is it simply a thinning effect? It's it's hard to say. Interestingly enough, we're currently doing a study uh, in CK, CK after LASIK simply for presbyopic correction and CK in virginized for presbyopic correction, and we are Uh, testing uh, the Reichert uh, optical response analyzer, uh, which may act as an indicator of of corneal biomechanics, uh, corneal elasticity, so to speak, to see if this might be predictive of, of CK effect.
0: Now, what were the main outcome measures for this study?
1: We looked at uncorrected vision. We looked at best spectacle corrected vision a keratometry, topography, analysis, and a subjective assessment of patient outcome, as well as astigmatism. don't know if I mentioned that or not.
0: There are a couple of cases that that I want to talk about in particular, but but before that, let me ask you what the results were just generally from, from your study.
1: In general, if you look at first uncorrected vision at distance average, was 20 over 64, uncorrected near visual acuity on average was 20 over 23 before the CK uh, procedure. The 2064 uncorrected vision improved to an average of 2037 uh, afterwards. Of the uh, 16 eyes, uh, nine improved, three had no change, and uh, four of the eyes worsened. Three of the eyes were by one line. One of the eyes was actually by seven lines because that patient was relatively uh, dramatically overcorrected and was myopic by about two diopters uh, afterwards. And one notable uh, result that we found was uh, in astigmatism, which in many cases was reason that we were treating the patient. Uh, Before... Uh, the CK procedure, the mean refractive cylinder was 1.92 diopters ranging up to five and a half uh, diopters. A- and afterwards, uh, uh, this had improved by an average of 54% uh, to 0.88 diopters, so they went from 1.92 beforehand to an average of 0.88 uh, afterwards uh, with a range of two to 2.75. Um, on average, there was a mean reduction of one diopter and um, and most of the patients uh, did quite well with uh, regard to improvement in their astigmatism.
0: To provide some clinical context, um, let, let's talk in, in more detail about some of the specific cases. Can I have you talk in some detail about case number one?
1: Case number one was a 54-year-old woman who had apparently a free flap during the original LASIK procedure. Uh, Next morning, the flap was displaced and it was replaced uh, again because of of stria and malposition. It was uh, eventually repositioned with a uh, suture and was actually lifted again for epithelial ingrowth. So this is a typical kind of patient we might treat. It's somebody on whom they've had complications, they've had difficulties, uh, numerous attempts have been made to try to remedy those with traditional flat management uh, techniques. Uh, clearly, I think at this point we want to stay away from further flat manipulation and uh, further uh, laser procedure. But she saw me with a manifest refraction at that point of plus 3.75 with minus 5.50 at 150 uh, degrees. Uh, that, that indeed gave her 2030 uh, visual acuity and she had a weak 2050 uh, b- beforehand. It's on here was 509 microns. So our first goal was to see if we could minimize the astigmatism. So based on topography and, and, and uh, keratometry and refraction, we placed CK spots in the flat axis at 152, degrees at 9 millimeter optical zone using three spots uh, on each side. One right on the flat axis and two straddling that by about uh, 20 degrees on uh, on either side. Uh, She uh, did quite well uh, there thereafter um, ending up uh, one year later with a refraction of plus zero point fifty, minus 1.0, uh, times one fifty, which gave a uh, 20-30 uh, visual acuity, um, and uh, clearly was somebody who had a, a, a good result and was was pretty happy, giving the um, a difficult uh, management that she had presented before.
0: Great, Peter. Just so that we we get a sense uh, of of what the what the range. Of of patients are here now. Can I have you describe case number five?
1: Sure. A uh, case five was a fella who originally had undergone LASIK for about minus five point five in the right and uh, minus six point five in in the left. And uh, the left eye, which was his worse eye, was twenty forty undercorrected with a manifest refraction that was plus three uh, 25 so he was relatively dramatically overcorrected uh, with the lasik and when we looked at his pachymetry his thickness was 389 microns so he had a lot done uh, at a big optical zone significantly overcorrected and a thin uh, pachymetry uh, because of the thin pachymetry and the high uh, hyperopic correction that was remaining we felt that it was contraindicated to do more laser surgeries, so we performed CK. Uh, he had uh, 16 spots circumferentially placed. Uh, we used two optical zone diameters, seven millimeters and eight millimeters, so eight spots at seven and eight spots at uh, eight uh, millimeters. And he did you know, also quite well. His uncorrected vision improved 20-25, and with a refraction of plano minus 75, at 115 given uh, 2020. He had a similar problem in the right eye was plus 175 in, in that eye. And again, because he had thin cornea, we want to go way out. So we used spots at eight millimeters and at nine millimeters, eight spots at eight, eight spots at nine, and he did quite well in that eye with an uncorrected vision of 2020 at, at six months in a refraction that was actually plano.
0: Now, Peter, the, the patients from, from this study are people who who had very few options from a from a therapeutic surgery point of view? Yes. Are, uh, it, just speaking generally now, not 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 in the context of of this of this one study, um, are are there patients who are particularly well suited for this this procedure uh, after after LASIK or or after after PRK complications?
1: Yeah, I think that um, patients who are hyperopic or who have hyperopic cylinder are, are the best candidates. In the therapeutic sense, I think that CK should be reserved for those patients who really don't have further therapeutic options in traditional flat management techniques and traditional laser surgical correction type of techniques. You should focus on patients who are hyperopic, or with hyperopic uh, cylinder. Uh, It's particularly useful in patients with irregular hyperopic cylinder because many of these patients are so irregular that uh, wavefront uh, custom treatment might not be an option uh, at this point. We found that the proper placement of CK spots can regularize the irregular astigmatism as well as minimize the regular hyperopic Uh, astigmatism. Uh, I I do think that all standard efforts uh, should be made at rehabilitating the the cornea using traditional methods of uh, flat management, be it stria uh, correction or or typical enhancements. But this really uh, gives you a new tool to use in, in those patients who might not be uh, good candidates for those other techniques. One of the things that we have found that's, uh, that I like about CK is that it's very safe. From a medical uh, point of view, uh, you are dealing with a procedure with, with few risks. Um, uh, risks are generally optical, you don't get as much correction as you want. Correction uh, regresses, You're, you don't get the result that you want from an optical point of view. But from a patient recovery point of view, from an actual medical complication point of view, a CK is safe and also, I think, quite easy for for the patient.
0: One of my questions, not not doing this procedure, you know, so I, I don't, I don't know yeah. personally. Um, one one of my questions with thermal keratoplasty generally is: Are the effects of the treatment transient? The effects,
1: the knock on thermal keratoplasty, all is always its stability and transient. And we have indeed found that we've had to go back and retreat a number of, of these patients. But I have not been from a clinical viewpoint. This is my adjustment. Seat of the pants clinically. I am not that troubled by the degree of stability or regression, certainly, in these patients. One, I think after LASIK, you have more of an effect, and though I don't have long-term data, I, I have the feeling that you might have a more long-lasting effect because of the, the enhanced correction that you're getting with the thinner uh, central, central cornea. So at least in this cohort of patients and the patients I've been treating uh, for the past couple of years using this technique, I have uh, not been uh, impressed that regression is a substantial problem. And again, if patients do regress, it's something that's relatively easy to go back and and uh, and retreat uh, to to some extent. Though, of course, you don't want to be retreating over and over and over again. I've also found in my standard CK patients, now having followed patients for over five years, that though not as stable certainly as LASIK, I think it is more stable than other past thermo keratoplasty procedures, and regression per se has not been something that i have found particularly troublesome from a clinical viewpoint of course always must discuss with the patient the the duration of potential outcome the necessity of possible uh, retreatments but at the end of the day i found it to be uh, quite useful for these kinds of patients and in these patients thus far relatively
0: stable peter in your own practice What do you do for patients who are hyperopic or with hyperopic astigmatism uh, after LASIK? Well, I think
1: that still, if they are simply overcorrected myopes um, with a little bit of cylinder and it's regular and everything is normal, I will generally uh, do a standard uh, LASIK enhancement. Um, For patients who after the LASIK might have suffered Inordinate dry eye for older patients who may now have some more epithelial problems than they heretofore might have had, then I might opt for CK. But in in those patients who are typical, to something, there's other hyperopic afterwards because of overcorrection. Uh, there I will still generally do uh, a standard LASIK enhancement. The one thing you do want to stress is you need to be careful. You got to need to be conservative. Don't do too much. You need to study the topography, study the corneal curvatures so you can properly place your spots. You want to meticulously align things at the slit lamp beforehand so so you know exactly what the axes of your major and minor meridians are when you get to your scope and you want to very carefully assess early on in the procedure the effect that you're getting, again, using, you know, I use a handheld placeto disc and a corneal ring and a hogstride keratometer to follow uh, and see how much uh, correction I'm getting. These patients will be unpredictable. That is, you may get very little response in some patients um, uh, with spots way out in the periphery, and you might get a much larger response in other patients, so it's important to start conservatively and work your way in from there. Uh, based on intraoperative measurement.
0: Peter, thank you very much.
1: My pleasure, Josh. Great to hear hear from you. And uh, this sounds like a great thing.
0: Peter Hirsch is Director of Cornea and Refractive Surgery and Clinical Professor of Ophthalmology at the Institute of Ophthalmology and Visual Science at the UMDNJ New Jersey Medical School. His paper, Conductive Keratoplasty to Treat Complications of LASIK and Photorefractive Keratectomy, appears in the November 2005 issue of Ophthalmology. Last month, I podcast a one-minute video promo. It's still available through iTunes. As seen from here, the first podcast for physicians, the first podcast to offer CME credit, is about to make a great leap forward. As seen from here is supplementing the existing audio podcast podcast with a video podcast. I have some great surgical programs lined up, and we'll start with bimanual laser phacolysis. Those of you lucky enough to have one of the new iPods will find the clarity of the programs to be excellent. Those of you who don't can still watch the video programs on iTunes, version 6 and above, and on QuickTime, both of which are free downloads. I also invite you, you personally, to submit surgical video that you feel is illustrative of a particular surgical point. Let's share. Ask questions of Dr. Hirsch or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code six four six eight zero eight zero two three one in the United Kingdom dial zero two zero seven five eight eight two seven five or Skype J Young MD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seen from here dot com. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young